she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. Welcome to episode 57 of The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. And James is finally out of his sick bed. <laughs> He's no longer hacking up a lung. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it was a real test of patience on my part. Send flowers. I know, only your part. Yeah, it was terrible. Send flowers, money, chocolates. I've, I've been through the ringer and I've survived. I can make, I've made it through the rain. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Yes, that is an A-plus Mariah mm-hmm. reference. I'm basically like an 85-year-old man. I ju- I've just been sick so much recently. And you don't... I'm trying to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By that, he means I go to work and I come home and I find the Harvey's, which is a Canadian burger chain wrapper in the garbage. You're such... And then he asks me... such a demon. ...to bring home Burger King on top of that. You are which such a cross I to bear. I certainly would not have done so had I known there was going to be already Harvey's in that garbage bin. Can you imagine somebody that you live with, like, going through the garbage, <laughs> looking through, looking for evidence of transgressions? You didn't even try to hide it. So why should I? <laughs> should I be ashamed? Eat some citrus, some vitamins. I've made you soup. Uh, And I ate it. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're here not to talk about me. And but also the reason why the TV episode is not in your podcast playlist is because James was sick. Uh, We had even... I wanted to record it right now, but we have to talk about tennis. Yeah, because shit went down. Tennis is literally interminable. Every day I wake up thinking, is the season over yet? Mm. And it's just not. We had had even announced on Twitter from our body server account that Mm. we're recording this Monday night. And then you you wake up Sunday morning and you're like... (laughs) (laughs) And let me tell you, it was not like a Serena Williams call-in sick. It was actually sick. Here we are. I'm not going to make any predictions as to when that TV episode is coming. I'm hoping it's soon. Okay. Yeah. Let's start with the curios thing. I know we have on oh, our agenda. Oh, you're really throwing me off here. Okay. Yeah, because on our agenda we have the Sharapova thing. We're a little bit late to that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. A little 2000 and mm-hmm. late. So let's keep it more fresh to start the episode because this curios thing happened today with the suspension coming down where mm-hmm. he's done for the rest of the year. He's fined $25,000. Previously, he had been fined, what, 16000 and there was no suspension, and mm. then they went back to the drawing board. It was like, well... <laughs> <laughs> okay. What, what do you make of this? Because we're at this weird space now where the camp of folks who want to say, well, Kyrgios is pure evil and a horrendous representation of what the ATP tour should be, those people are still there. Mm-hmm. And then now we have... I would say, an equal chorus of people defending Kyrgios. Yes. And so I'm of two minds here. First things first, just so everyone kind of knows what we're talking about, has everyone seen the video of him clearly tanking against... uh, I don't even remember who he was playing. Who can remember? But nobody's going to answer your question because... (laughs) 
Nobody's here. Is there anyone out there? This is uh, not how podcasting works. Right. Basically, it was, you know, he talked back to the crowd a little bit, said, you know, why don't you come out here if you can do it better? At 3-1 in the first set, he essentially batted the fir- the serve and walked over to the changeover because he was done with that game. Mm-hmm. He even said to the umpire, can you just call it? Right. And it's so bizarre because he's coming off winning the biggest title of his career in Tokyo, and he's flown to Beijing, right? Yes. Shanghai was Shanghai. Shanghai, sorry. And now he's just like in a piss poor mood. And I, at the time, I didn't really understand what was going on. I mean, I understand being exhausted after a long season and, you know, having gone through injuries this year and being frustrated. But this is kind of something we've seen from him and from Bernard Tomic, to be fair. Mm -hmm. So the reason I say I'm of two minds about this is that I'm somebody who generally likes rules in tennis and in general. But I also understand the folks who are pissed off about what they feel is sort of unequal punishment handed down to Nick or or criticism that's a little too inflamed, perhaps. Where I am right now is at a total disgust with the moral grandstanding from both camps. Mm. The people who are saying, how dare he? He's such an abomination. And then the people who are saying, oh, he's young. It's hard. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what it's like traveling the world as a 21-year-old and all the demands that it requires of somebody. Well, yes. And 99% of tennis players seem to handle it a hundred times better. Right. So... I mean, there are obviously a lot of other uh 21-year-old and younger players Mm -hmm. doing the same thing. And there are people like Andy Murray who lose their shit all the time. Mm-hmm. Djokovic who goes through an entire wardrobe having ripped every shirt <laughs> in his closet on a regular basis. Yeah. So this kind of woe is me manhood is on display all the time in tennis. Right. And we see women display poor behavior all the time too. Not calling any names, Putin Sable. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently being a man is just very, very difficult. That's the thing that I find on the face of it, most difficult to grasp Mm -hmm. and deal with and is at most and is at odds most with my intellectual being. Men who make being a man look so difficult, I I have no time for that. (laughs) And that's what I get from Kyrgios a lot. You know, this this brooding, brattish masculinity. Mm. It's just such a tough pill to swallow. Right. And to be fair, you know, life can be hard for anyone, regardless of your gender or your race or sexuality. Everyone mm-hmm. struggles with different things. I think there's there's something about his behavior in general that really gets people going. Mm-hmm. And setting setting to one side just for a moment the racial factor. I think that's I think, a huge part of it. Yes, though. but setting it aside for a moment, I think these tennis purists get really, really upset when anger comes from what appears to be apathy Mm -hmm. you know like john McEnroe was excused a because he was white b because he's male but c because his anger appeared to come from caring too much about really really wanting to win and i think that in sports we excuse all sorts of really outrageous behavior if we actually believe that person wants to be there 
And I've seen some folks make the comparison that, oh, if John McEnroe were around in this day and age, it would be just as bad. Or do you all not remember what it was like with John McEnroe? Mm -hmm. Which I, I take issue with that comparison because we don't know if McEnroe would have reacted to the immediacy of living in a social media world and checked himself. Right. You know, we don't know if his behavior would have been worse, the same, or less. And as you said, McEnroe's contemptuous behavior on court seemed to come from a different place. And how I'm not saying that Nick doesn't care or that he doesn't want to be there. But well, he's told us I, many times he doesn't right, care. But that can definitely be a defense. Yes. You know, when things aren't going your way and you're feeling crappy about how you're playing, mm -hmm. you can say, well, I don't, that's fine. I don't care. The that other, doesn't mean that you mean it. The other thing that I struggle with is Nick is a player of color. Mm hmm when Serena and Venus were young coming up, their their standoffishness and their contempt for the the puritanical expectations of tennis in their time was something that rubbed people the wrong way a lot. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine if they were doing what Nick is doing now, back then? <laughs> can you imagine? Right. And that's where we can situate masculinity and the difference of expectation for masculinity in this situation. Because there's just okay. no way around it. We expect so much less of men than we do of women. But it's not that Nick hasn't been punished. No. You know, and I also don't think that in 1998, if a black male player behaved that way, it would have been brushed off. You know, I think Venus and Serena suffered a lot because they were perceived as arrogant or too confident but they didn't throw tantrums in the 90s. You know, the that... racial comparison suffers because also Nick is from a different country. Mm -hmm. The racial implications are different. It's not a strict blanket comparison between race in the U.S. and how that's perceived and people not being able to a, necessarily make sense of what Nick is. Right. Along racial lines. Right. So that mm. that's granted. It was just to make the bigger point of the expectations, the difference in expectations of of men and women in sport and mm -hmm. in life in general. Yeah. I think that if you're coming from a North American perspective, specifically United States, he's probably perceived to be black as situated within sort of hip hop culture, right? Yeah. Because he's... He aligns himself. Yeah, exactly. But like in the US that has maybe a more simplistic perspective on what race is, Nick is probably black. Okay. Even, even though ethnically, you know, even though the science is not really science, he's not African-American. The more this goes on is the more I'm tempted to give Nick the benefit of the doubt, though. And I, for a couple of reasons. One of the things that I, I wrote, like, maybe two years ago now, I wrote something called How Behavioral Issues Undercut Curios or something like that. Oh, yeah. And so I was very critical of Nick and his early infractions mm. along those lines of you know how it's difficult so difficult to be a man right mm -hmm. and part of that was the atp needs to do something and now the atp has done something <laughs> right what were they doing all along but early in the week as this was happening i said to you you know something came to my mind and i was like i don't really have an entryway to talk about this because i feel like it's just speculation and it's irresponsible and then 
Saint Murray, Andy Murray, <laughs> said something that now makes it a little bit more okay. Okay. Still, I don't feel terribly comfortable, but I really do wonder if Nick is struggling with some kind of emotional issue. Mm. He's not behaving like somebody who is emotionally stable. And whether that stems from dealing with some kind of mental health issue, as Murray was trying to, to have people understand that from a week-to-week basis, it's very, very difficult to be a tennis player on the tennis tours. Mm-hmm. And that mental health issues don't get enough attention. Right. So now we have this situation where the ATP has handed him the suspension of eight weeks and given him the opportunity to have that reduced to three if he gets counseling from a sports psychologist. Right. Which in itself is fraught. to say there's so much to unpack there but it's just curious to me that that's a stipulation that they put in after murray has made these public comments Mm -hmm. yeah so okay i want to address a few things that you brought up first of all it's clear to me that both tours need to do a lot more to show that they actually regard players physical Mm well-being not to mention mental physical we have players Injured constantly, top stars of the game, breaking down midway through the season. The fall swing can be a total mess sometimes. Midway through the first month of the season, residual from the previous season. So neither tour has really shown a high regard for their physical well-being. I have no doubt that players are suffering from mental health problems and it's not being addressed because what is the impetus for the tour to deal with that sort of thing? And I'm sure... You know, a lot of organizations outside of sports are not showing that compassion for their employees. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's even more fraught because they're barely employees. They're really just independent contractors who sort of have to fend for themselves, you know. But yet are held to a standard of maintaining the brand of these people they may or may not be working for. They have to labor for the tours. Yes. They're required to do emotional labor for the tour in promotion, but they don't have any protection or representation for themselves. This whole business of Nick's behavior reflecting badly on the ATP, I give zero fucks about that. <laughs> I don't care about the ATP's The brand. ATP reflects itself badly mm-hmm. upon its own. They've ridden the coattails of Ra- Roger and Rafa for years, and now Djokovic is their bright spot in terms of being the top dog. Mm-hmm. Like The big four, Mari too, right? Those four, they've had to do virtually nothing to grow the game because they've been able to just rely on these top players just coasting Mm -hmm. through things for them. Yeah, and for the most part, they're incredible diplomats for the sport. Now, a few people on Twitter brought up the incident from a few years ago when Michael Lodra yelled at a fan and called her a fucking Chinese. No, do you remember that? Uh, Fonini was the one who called his opponent a gypsy, which is incredibly offensive. Yes, I remember. Yeah. yeah. No, so like these racist comments, and from Lodra, from himself to a fan, which is what people's problem was with Nick. Nick didn't curse at a fan. Yeah. Maybe you can argue he was disrespectful, but like, where was the punishment? What was the punishment for Lodra back then? And I remember being really angry about it. And the ATP sort of, you know, they shit the bed on that. And so that's not to say that they can't get their act together now, but the punishments have to be consistent. I personally feel throw out the fine and keep the suspension. 
That's my opinion. The fine is neither here nor there. What is $25,000 to Nick Curious right now? Exactly. And to me, the what is the point of a fine if it's not a deterrent? Okay. Why are you punishing a player financially if you're trying to make a point? You know, you're trying to make an example here. But what do you make of this caveat to see a sports psychologist? Well, it's not unheard of in business. You know what I mean? It's not unheard of to suggest that your employee seeks counseling. And so I'm, I'm not sure how useful uh, a psychologist is going to be if the patient is not willing, but I, I don't think it's outrageous. Okay. I actually, I personally don't really like the idea of finding someone because to me, it's like you're docking their pay, which I believe is unjust. So tell them they can't play fine, but to ask them to pay you, uh, it doesn't really make sense to me. Well, what do you think? I, I just don't know how you, you're able to put a value on the work that's done with a sports psychologist with respect to the supposed abhorrent behavior in court that caused this suspension and equate that to five weeks off. Right. How did you come up with that number? And how are you monitoring the work that's being done? I feel like it's, some, it's, it's, it's smoke and mirrors in a lot mm. of ways. And why are you concerned about his mental health now, days after Maury said what he said? Right. I just don't trust the ATP. <laughs> no. And their there is intentions. A, there's a way to look at that optimistically. There is. Yes. I'm not sure that I want to. That's a good way of describing to, it. Because to be skeptical, they believe that Kyrgios is valuable to them, which he most certainly is. There's no question about that. He is going to get asses in seats. At the same time, he did this in Asia, where they're trying to expand into new markets, which was probably embarrassing for them. Well, he also went and doubled down in press tweet. It wasn't just the behavior in court. <laughs> you yeah, get forgot, a hold yeah. of that press press transcript mm. and read that transcript. Okay. I find it interesting, too, that Kyrgios is walking the line now. In response to mm -hmm. the suspension, he's saying all the right things in ways he's never said before. Right. I mean, he apologized on Twitter before the punishment uh -huh. was doled out, and he's apologized again. And I think that Nick really wants to play tennis. And I think that he's his own worst enemy. We have no way of knowing what he wants or doesn't want to do. Even if he doesn't right. want to play tennis, that's his business, that's fine. Right. The issue is how that manifests itself on court and in relation to fans. Like, the fan part is really the, the worst part. Yeah, Let's you know, real. tennis is an expensive sport to watch. Like, if somebody is heckling you, fine. Mm -hmm. I think who had that issue recently? It was actually Tomic, right? Supposedly, when he oh, said, I'm yeah. going to shove, shove those balls down your throat, mm -hmm. he was being really heckled. Poor way to handle it. <laughs> but, you know, you're not going to have somebody throw a stone at you and just smile. Yeah. You know? Um, I do think that Tomic, his countryman, is... His behavior is completely odious. And the fact that he hasn't had punishments like this is a little bit... Uh, it's a bit of a red flag for me. Mm -hmm. I think Nick is, quite frankly, honest, honestly happy to have the time off. And maybe this will be good for him. I mean, what kind of punishment is it? He most likely wasn't going to make the ATB finals. He'll miss two tournaments. Yeah. He was scheduled to play one more and then Paris indoors. If he, I'm not even sure if it was even like semi-possible he mm. could have qualified for London. So it's not that big of a deal, frankly. Right. But 
he's one who could have railed against the decision publicly. He and Christos could have cooked up some kind of <laughs> media frenzy yeah, in opposition been, to it. I haven't it. really heard much from him lately. I don't think I'm permitted to view his Twitter, though. <laughs> According to him. <laughs> I'm shocked that Nick hasn't blocked me to this day. I'm still allowed yeah. to view his tweets. Bigger issue here. What is going on with all these Aussie players? Why? Why? What? What is the reason for so many odious, off-color moments on court? I don't know. Australian fans, can you maybe just clue us in? Is there something going on in Australian culture <laughs> that we need to know about? Is there something unique to Australian young masculinity mm. that manifests itself this way? I, I just don't know. I mean, we have quote-unquote douchebags flying all over the place. They're everywhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's part and parcel of the socialization of being a man. Mm -hmm. It's your right and your want to <laughs> behave however the fuck you want. Anywhere bros go. <laughs> but when you have a country that has so few top tennis players, it becomes that much more magnified when three or four of the top ones over a decade are that way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Let's move on. Let's move on to someone I feel unequivocal about. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Who Taylor Swift. Donna Trump? Maria Sharapova. <laughs> no, oh, so, no so I said Donna and mm -hmm. not Donald. There. Oh, I see. Because Miss Donna Trump has unleashed a media frenzy of lies and mistruths. <laughs> and dishonesties <laughs> cloaked and, and non-facts cloaked as fact and reason in ways that donald trump would fire the person next to her because wow okay i know we're so late on this but and and actually for a week or so i was contemplating putting a moratorium on Sharapova, even you, though this... You didn't tell me that. Well, I only have one vote in this two-person thing, mm -hmm. so your vote usually trumps mine. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not feeling sick anymore. I got kind of a second wind on the Sharapova thing. I read the, what, the 28-page decision today, and I felt a little bit energized. Here's the thing. The last time we came to you, we talked a little bit about this and we kind of speculated as to what we thought would happen with the with the CAS decision. Mm -hmm. And we both kind of agreed that there would probably be a reduction. Yes. And we we're kind of okay with it. We didn't think it would be like the biggest deal. Right. Personally, at least. I was prepared for it. But then it happened. Like, yep, that makes sense. But Maria Sharapova is now a martyr. I don't know. How did I underestimate her ability to be arrogant and just terrible? If you go to Urban Dictionary and you look up giving no fucks, you see a picture of Maria Sharapova. Because she don't care what any of the naysayers has to no, say. No, but she gives many, many fucks because she's out here doing a carefully choreographed media job the day of the decision. So what is it then? Is it that she's just daft? Because who's buying it other than her fans? Um, I haven't seen one person... Every important person in tennis in the world, basically. Except for her colleagues. 
who clearly don't like her that who are, much. Who are these people? Oh, just the most decorated legends of the game. No, like the Billie Jean thing and the Martina thing, they're not stupid to bite. They're just being willfully ignorant. Really? Yeah, Billy wants to star power at her goddamn fundraising event. I just don't think that they care at all. That, watch, which is which is the watch. thing. She's she will get wild card after wild card after wild card when she comes back. This speculation about people being vexed about how she went about things—it's rubbish. No, but this Roland is, Garros will give her a wild card in two seconds. This is the thing. These people should be giving her wild cards. She's a decorated tennis star. The suspension thing should have served her time there were many <sighs> vagaries throughout this whole mm -hmm. process that could cast some suspicion or doubt onto her guilt or whatever fine mm -hmm. she's she would have benefited from that gotten the nine months off the total 24 month suspension fine get the wild cards rebuild your career but now she's trying to paint herself as having done nothing wrong mm -hmm. Which is crazy. Like, you did something wrong. You were negligent. Mm -hmm. You come out and you say, well, you know, I really should have done a better job. Even if you don't want to say I was popping Meldonium to go try and beat Serena Williams because <laughs> I hadn't beaten her ass in like 15 years, spanning 65 matches. <laughs> and so I needed to pop pills at the rate of knots to try and get an advantage, right? Like, mm -hmm. even if you want to not... <laughs> if you want, even if you want to give her that bligh, mm -hmm. and we're going to overlook that, yeah, you still come back and you say, "I had some fault. I deserve to be suspended somewhat, and I'm glad and grateful, and I look forward to putting this behind me." It's so simple, right? It's so simple. She listen. and yet it was the total opposite, and this is where I'm saying the giving no fucks comes from because anybody who has a modicum of intellectual ability can see through that bullshit Clear. we're not talking about sponsors yeah. or whatever who have a monetary vested interest in having her back on court i'm not talking about that mm. i don't think how many people would you talk to who are not rabid maria fans who would not take issue with how she's carried about mm -hmm. carried on with this situation who know and have followed and have read the documents like this is absurd let's start at the beginning just to give a little context for what we're ranting about. So the original decision from the ITF, you may remember, ruled that her infraction was not intentional, but it was negligent. Mm -hmm. That, well, she did intentionally conceal her use of meldonium because she left it off the most recent dope, uh, anti-doping forms, for which is true, yeah. can clearly mm -hmm. be shown in evidence. After having put it on her forms for many years before yeah. that um we we delineated all these things in our previous talk about it right. as to why we called bullshit on her press conference back in march mm -hmm. so i have to i just have to go through some of her defenses because to me they're a little bit ridiculous as a total lay person not someone with a legal mind so she she was arguing that she bears no significant fault, is what they call it, because that would get her sentence reduced or possibly thrown out if they ruled that she had zero fault whatsoever. So she said she's always been very careful about what she ingests. Uh, the drug was prescribed to her from a real doctor. She entrusted IMG 
and basically it's Max Eisenbaud's fault. <laughs> it that wasn't said mm-hmm. clearly, but that's what was implied. Mind you, uh, if it's that much his fault, why is he then still on your payroll? Uh, we'll get to that. That she and Max both honestly but mistakenly believe that Mildrenate was the drug name and not the brand name, so they didn't recognize it when it came up on the doping form. But Mildrenate, not Meldonium, was still not listed on her doping control forms. Exactly. Uh, That WADA was negligent in adding Meldonium to the list and didn't take the appropriate steps to communicate that change, which the court of arbitration actually agreed with on that point. So... The panel finds that Sharapova's fault is not significant, but not non-existent. So that's the really important thing here. So they did set aside the ITF's ban and basically handed out their own ban of 15 months. So just a few things. The reason that they found her fault to not be significant is because she relied on IMG, which it was reasonable to expect they had expertise in this area. Even though Max Eisenbud had not been trained in the ways of doping control. Right. But with such a large sports agency behind you, I guess they found it to be reasonable that she could expect they knew what the hell they were doing. Okay. The problem here is that Maria didn't supervise or oversee Eisenbud in any way. So that's one reason they found her to be negligent. Another thing in her favor is that they ruled that she wasn't taking the drugs for performance-enhancing reasons, and that she didn't see the doctor, what, 10 years ago, to enhance her performance. It was for a medical thing. And they agreed with Maria that WADA did not communicate the changes properly. So the reason that the ban didn't go away completely is because A, she didn't supervise Eisenbud properly, and B, is because she failed to list the drug on her most recent doping form. And many before that. Well, I think two before that, because she did list it for a long time, and then it just disappeared off her Mm -hmm. forms. So, you know, the court of arbitration for sport is taking the point of view that she was taking this drug in good faith. She wasn't trying to enhance her performance. She was trying to address a legitimate medical need, and that's why they reduced the sentence. Now, that all can be argued, of course, but... Which is why the reduction, I don't care about. I don't care about that. Mm. I will buy so much of what she's selling at this point. Except for sugar pulva. We did buy it. As a gift. As a gift. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no more. Boycott. And I was just ready to just be done with it, right? But then take us through this post-CAS uh, yeah. decision. Well, you know, this is what Maria is good at, is self-promotion and making money, right? This was kind of a victory tour, which is so crazy because this is a player who is literally out on a doping suspension and is going around the world celebrating that it was slightly reduced. She Get this. The New York Times wrote an article in which the headline was Maria Sharapova claims victory mm-hmm. with so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And Maria Sharapova retweeted that onto her timeline. She scheduled an interview with Charlie Rose to come out that day because she was so sure that the ruling would be in her favor. She went on the Today Show with Matt Lauer. You know, all these people who don't really know anything about tennis, basically. 
And if you saw Charlie Rose's interview with Stan Marinka, you know that he doesn't know anything about tennis. <laughs> but the way these interviews are conducted and the way these responses are left to sit, the casual person, and this is where this PR tour becomes effective, because I guess I'm being naive in thinking that people who are engaged in tennis is more than like 500 people on Twitter. <laughs> Right, and so yeah. when somebody is getting ready for work and they're watching Maria Sharapova on the Today Show, and like, well, damn, they really did her wrong, right? And that's the goal, mm-hmm. right? And I guess that's where her team is good, right? They're not good at reading water communications, but they're this is what they can do. But you know, and then as you alluded to, we saw her how quickly after the decision at World Team Tennis smash hits with. Elton John, Billie Jean, Andy Roddick, John McEnroe, and it was just ugh. distasteful. It it the, was the way to go would have been kept a low prof- profile, train your ass off, do maybe a few exhibitions a few months down the road because you're still mm-hmm. allowed to do those, and then come back when the time's ready. Like nobody's gonna forget you, right? You who holds five Grand Slam titles, you have a career Grand Slam, you're a superstar. You bring in money, you bring in fans. Like, that's not going to change. Speak, no, say nothing of the head tennis company. Oh, God. <laughs> that was, I, I still haven't read the whole thing because it was unbelievable. Yeah, I'm throwing out my head racket, like, as we speak. Do we have one? I have a Babylon. Breaking it over my you knee. Do, you do have a head uh, racket. Yes, I do. Yeah. Mine's Babylon, by the way. Oh, well. It's like the very entry level $20 Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I wonder, when I, when all this was going on, I was thinking, in what other sport would this ever happen? Does it happen? I'm asking because I'm not a well-rounded sports fan. In what sport does someone who's serving a doping suspension get to go out and play exhibitions with the sport's greatest players in history? Tennis is unique in that a lot of other sports, you don't get to have those kinds of exhibitions what are you gonna have like okay donovan bailey and michael johnson trying to recreate a 150 meter race at 50 years old you know okay fair it's, enough it's different like uh, johnny bench is not gonna play with pete rose by himself on a baseball diamond mm-hmm. it's uh tennis is unique in that regard it does speak to the fact that billy jean and martina were a bit just a bit tone deaf Yes. Because even if even if you say you're a hundred percent on Maria's side, which you could be, that's mm-hmm. your right and prerogative, mm-hmm. you should still at least be able to foresee the bad optics of what this right. would look like. Right. It's just a head scratcher all around. It's, it was truly bizarre. It really was. And another thing, one more thing, and then my bitterness parade is going to end. Mm-mm. What? It'll never end. Oh, that's so rude. You know, I like I turned off the election coverage today because it was so stressful. And then I looked at our agenda and I'm like, why is this world trying to trouble my nerves? I was just trying to get some some solace away from the stress. For months, for well over a year, I've been hooked like glue to this election coverage. And you're just like, why are you watching that? Why are you watching that? And all of a sudden, I've had my fill. Mm-hmm. I am just up to here with the punditry and the commentary and yeah. the talk about I just can't do it. But now you're just like watching everything. 
You're getting ready for work, earning your shirt. Ooh, let me go see what Anderson's yeah, up to. That's the only thing on, on Canadian TV. Like, oh, you've exhausted Canadian cable TV is really bad. <laughs> you've exhausted your PVRs of Come Dine With Me yes. Canada. <laughs> if Come Dine With Me Canada is not on, then I don't know what to watch. <laughs> I'm, I should talk about that on our TV episode. Yes, because it's you are and the amazing race Canada. Canada is coming through with some really good locally produced versions of these international reality shows. Mm. I just have to say, anyway. The, the thing that I wanted to mention was that in every sport, in track and field especially, when somebody tests positive for a banned substance, there's always a story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That every story is presented as unique. This story is presented as unique. It's not as cut and dry as some. She wasn't taking an anabolic steroid, you know? But I'm, ti- I'm just really tired of hearing all these different stories about why you were testing positive for a banned substance. I'm also getting tired of the, oh, I didn't take cocaine, I kissed somebody who did. Shut your goddamn mouth. It happened again. (laughs) Not not with him, with somebody (laughs) else. (laughs) Like, why are you trying to do Pamela like that? And is that even her real name? Who are we talking about? I feel so... It was Richard Gasquet, but I don't... Who's Pamela? Pamela was the supposedly oh, this, the girl? this mythical woman oh my God. in a club that he kissed, and she had just done cocaine. You know, g- side note, Gasquet's position as this Lothario and hot boy is way overstated. Because that hairline has not been at its best for damn near a decade. And mm, those shoulders... That's not the only thing. Those shoulders are minuscule. I'm I'm just saying, like, there are a lot of hot French guys. Not Richard. <laughs> Can we move on? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that there just isn't some more fresh bullshit with this. If she could just stay away until April, come back, and get summarily beaten by Serena in finals. Like this is the template. Mm-hmm. The template of your life, and it should not change when mm-hmm. you come back. Miss Serena Jamika Williams, who can be seen all over North America doing all manner <laughs> of fabulous things. Yeah. She can be seen on stage with Beyonce. Dancing up a storm in New Jersey. It was a final formation show, right? Uh-huh. She can be seen backstage with Tasty from Orange is a New Black reciting All, all yes. My Life. From the color purple. All Sophia's lines. She really knows it. Uh-huh. She can, What else can she... She can be seen visiting any number of street-side taco fans. Well, obviously. She can be seen in Disney World. Yes. Hanging out with Elsa and Anna. Croaking to let it let it go. I was <laughs> going to say let it flow, but that's Tony Braxton. <laughs> that's one of my favorite Tony jams. That dance. might be a better fit for Serena. A little bit lower, more mellow. I... I was in the other room while you were playing. I guess it must have been Instagram, right? Serena singing Let It Go. Yeah, or Snapchat or something. And it was hyenas, to quote from my cousin Vinny. It was. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's be fair. Demi Lovato did record a version of that. So, (laughs) like, how bad could it be? Bottom line is she won't be seen on the WTA tour again until... January in Auckland because she's going to be playing in Auckland for the first time 
a location that Venus has played the last few years, where she won two years ago mm-hmm. and tried to defend this year. As to whether we'll see both of them in Auckland in January, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that the, the meaning of that is Serena will not be at the World Tour Finals in Singapore, and Angelique Kerber will be your year-end number one. Yeah. You know, despite my sort of dismissive comment about her illness or injury or whatever, injuries were obviously concerned this year, and if she feels like she needs to take the rest of the year off, cool. Fine. She's 35. Like, she's she's earned it. And if she comes back in January healthy, even better. Who are we to say that she should not be doing this at this stage in her career? Well, yeah, I mean, another, I'm sorry, another WTA finals is not going to change her place in history. No. It's just not. And the very, like, the very narrow possibility that she regained number one at the end of the year, you know, would have added another year at number one, which is a big deal. But it, that probably wasn't going to happen either. <laughs> On the list of big deals for Serena, I feel like that may be in the 6 to 10 range. Right. (laughs) Okay, okay. I feel like when Roberta Vinci beat her at the US Open last year, a lot Mm. of things went through the window as far as things she gave a damn about. (laughs) She did open up another spot, though, in what has been a very, very tight race Mm -hmm. for those last few spots in Singapore. So prior to her announcement... And her withdrawal from Singapore. The field for Singapore had been set. It had been decided. Mm -hmm. And just a few hours later, it's then thrown into disarray again. Because Serena's out. And then that opens up a spot for the final qualification place. As of this recording, Kerber, Radvanska, Halep, Pliskova, Mugurutha, Keys, and Sibolkova. Those seven are definitely in. And now, the eighth spot becomes... A competition between Joe Kanta, Suarez Navarro, and Kuznetsova. And, well, if Suarez or Kuznetsova win in Moscow, which they're both playing at, they will get in, correct? Yes, because... And Kanta will be out. Yeah, because... because she's not playing Correct. Right if she were playing in Luxembourg or Moscow this week, she could have maybe just won a match or two and then qualified on her own terms. Mm -hmm. But she's dealing with some kind of stomach strain. So she's at the mercy of what these two women do. Right. If Kuznetsova wins this tournament at home, she will qualify by 35 points. And she has had a hell of a year, but a lot of people have good years. And Kvitova is sitting right behind her, can't qualify for the finals, but... Who didn't have a good year. No. Until the last but, two weeks. like, look who's alive again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Which has been, I know you talk about the, the Asian swing and how it's the bane of your existence. You hate it. You want to stab <laughs> it to death. Create a voodoo doll and just kind of just make it go away. But there have been some really that? great narratives and resurgences that have come out of this Asian swing. We'll get to that. Okay. Sibolkova... Maybe somebody can clarify that for me. I used to always say Sibolkova, but then I heard an umpire say Sibolkova, and I was like, okay. And that's just stuck in my ear now. Was it a Slovakian umpire? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What a run that she's been on. Yeah, to me, there is no more pure feel-good story coming from the WTA this year. Joe Conta is pretty cool, Well, yeah. But, like, how can you not be rooting for Dominika Sibolkova? Really? Like, she's just had an amazing year. She's reached six finals. She just won another title. 
She married a hot guy this summer. <laughs> Beard notwithstanding. And let me tell you, I'm not an expert in this field, but what, I can tell guys? you... No, hot woman. <laughs> but I can tell you... <laughs> I can tell you so many lay people that we speak to who don't follow tennis. And they say, oh, you know, tell me about this podcast. Or we tell them, you know, we have a podcast, mm. a tennis podcast. Like, oh, you know, that... that that Dominica Sibyl, she's really hot. Like I get, I mean, it happens all really the time. Yeah, all the time. Oh well, you should tell them she's literally all we talk about. <laughs> Tune in. Again, I I have no frame of reference. She seems. I mean, you like, can tell she's she's very she, yeah, she's yeah. a good looking person, but I didn't know that she was like the it girl for so many men. I just assumed it was like Sharapova because you know. Mm. Nah, I don't know. So let's go through a few of the standouts from the Asian swing. Okay. We talked about Sibylkova. She won Linz last week, made the final in Wuhan. Caroline Wozniacki, girl, she's back up to number 17 after being 74 in the world a few weeks ago. Mm. Okay, I'm back on the Caroline Oh, train you are? Now. Okay. Yeah. You know, we go, we have peaks and valleys. Uh, I don't have peaks and valleys. <laughs> well, I do. Okay. She won Hong Kong. Last week, she beat Mladenovic, and then a few weeks prior, she won Tokyo. Yeah, so beating Osaka ti- in the final. Mm-hmm. Two titles in one month. Radvanska won Beijing without losing a set. Joe Kanta made the final in Beijing and a quarter in Wuhan. Kvitova, the quarters in Beijing and then winning in Wuhan. And these are all women who, I mean, Radvanska has been tearing up Asia for two years now. Mm-hmm. It's She's got that in her bag. Right. right, but the Kanta story being able to capitalize on the great start that she had in Australia to the to the year, and now being a position to maybe make the WTA finals that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Wozniacki coming back from career death <laughs> <laughs> the last few months, and then we have Madison Keys, who has been arguably the most consistent player on the WTA tour all year, shy of. Angelique Kerber. And even then, Madison hasn't really had any early round losses to speak of. Mm-hmm. Since when? You said uh, yeah, since I, the spring, right? Since the first week of April, she hasn't lost before the round of 16 of mm-hmm. any tournament. That's crazy. I mean, did you see that coming? No. <laughs> no. No, the consistency is what I did not see coming. I mean, this kind of sets her up for having a monster 2017. I feel like if you were to look to one player who is really ready to just dominate, it's going to mm-hmm. be her. Because nobody on tour is having this kind of consistency. It's yeah. a very difficult thing to achieve. And she's able to do that while not playing her best game most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, so, this is a really important step for a player who could be poised to be a big star. Week in and week out, playing these tournaments where maybe sometimes you don't feel like being there, mm-hmm. but you're putting up pretty good results... And going into next year, a good thing is that, you know, she is defending a lot of points, but they're not huge, huge mm-hmm. points where, say, she doesn't make the or she doesn't win a big tournament, yeah. then her points are going to completely drop She's off. She's got that you know? Tomasz Berdyk points game going. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like, that's how he stayed in the top 10 for however many years, yeah. you know. On the men's side, Grigor Dimitrov, back in the top 20, at one point yeah, was ranked he's... as low as number 40. He made the final in Beijing, the semifinal in Chengdu. Good for him. Roberto Bautista Agut, 
just came off a final appearance in Shanghai, losing to Andy Murray, who hasn't lost to Andy Murray outside of Novak, <laughs> Novak Djokovic mm-hmm. consistently this year, made the semis in St. Petersburg. And I was really pleased for this result. He's getting really close to the top 10, which I don't know how many people could have predicted that he would be a potential top 10 player, a realistic top 10 right. player, but it's doable. But ever since early in the year when he tweeted that pro-gay festival, Fiesta de la Madrigada or something like that, some like annual gay festival parade thing he mm. was endorsing or promoting on his, his timeline, I was like, you know what? I'm going to support you unconditionally. <laughs> Unless you somehow espouse support for Trump or some other heinous thing, you get many free passes <laughs> because you are doing something that so many are not. Right. In professional sport and in tennis. So very happy for him. But Andy Murray, like, what else can you say? Well, he, he there's a lot of talk about him, you know, chasing the number one ranking. And for a while, it was a little bit premature, but it's actually not outrageous anymore the other night i tweeted murray's only 24 2415 points behind djokovic for number one and so many people responded with quote unquote only question mark (laughs) remember remember that the points are inflated they used to be a thousand for a major not two thousand so it's not as big as it sounds but also it is a lot of points it is a lot of points but we're talking about coming from way back Close to 10,000 points behind. In April, he was almost 9,000 points behind Djokovic. And think about the points that Djokovic has to defend. He has the first two majors of the year, next year, and basically every tournament he played in early 2016, he won. Even to this day, he's supposedly struggling and a mental case and doesn't isn't able to even tie his shoelaces anymore. <laughs> but he's still getting to finals and semifinals mm-hmm. routinely. So yeah. those are points he all had... He has to defend every week. Right. So the very optimistic scenario for Andy Murray is that if he won both Vienna and Paris indoors and Djokovic did not make the final in Paris, Murray could actually take number one by November 7th, which is crazy. How many points come off and get added and, you know, but it would not be completely outrageous to think that he could be number one by the end of this year or early next year. And he would have earned it as much as somebody can earn being number one when Djokovic has still won damn near everything this year. Right. Murray's won six titles. He's won Olympic gold again. Most of the finals that he lost were to Djokovic. He's been squarely the number two player in men's tennis. Mm. I mean, for people to actually believe it, I think you would have to notch some wins against Djokovic. Yeah. For, for people Say to feel he like goes he's a real to Paris, number one. He wins Paris. He goes and he plays Djokovic in, in London, wins London. That's a hell of a way to close out the year. Right. And let's be real. There's no male player better than Annie Murray who never reached number one. Correct. I mean... Right? I mean, I, I wasn't I mean, alive for... Marcelo Rios. Uh, or no, uh, Sergey Bruguera, right? Well, we can shit on people who are number one and who are nowhere <laughs> near as good as Andy Murray. But I don't. I can't speak to the 70s and the 80s. A lot of those okay. players. I don't know. But... The level of his accomplishments, now having won two gold medals Mm -hmm. and three Grand Slams and reaching an insane amount of Grand Slam finals, to never have reached number one is is crazy. And in any other era would never have happened. Yeah. What do you have to say about Mr. Djokovic? Mr. Uh, Jovak Nokovic? I don't know. I think, you know, my bad mind stores are just all spent right now. 
you're saying you don't know her? You don't think of her? I don't really know what's going on, and I don't really have anything to contribute. Yeah. I don't really get, like, all the shirt ripping now. Like, I that has become a thing. Yeah, I also don't get why it's such a big story that his... This new narrative that Novak is a mess, he's in shambles, that everything is awry. Yeah, you had the supposed personal issues that were going down at Wimbledon. You can guess what those were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe there's some personal turmoil. Maybe there was a diet change, you know, maybe he cheated and had a steak. I don't know. But the results are still pretty good. I'm not about to get all worked up that Djokovic isn't winning everything. But mm. still, he's still losing in a semifinal. He's losing to somebody who is ranked top 15. Let yeah. him have his moment. Fine. What do I care? I mean, I don't really care if he wins, obviously. But it's just not that shocking to me. Well, it's shocking because of how good he's been over the past few years. How infallible he's yeah, been. Yeah, and so you know? that he should be a little bit human, let him have it. Right. It's not that big of a deal. But then to then con conflate that and blow that up into Novak's world is flying off its axis. <laughs> just seems a bit much to me. Well, he doesn't help himself because the way he acts on court makes it look like that's what's happening. And he's also like talking in press world. about how he's trying to find enjoyment in tennis or mm. he's struggling to find enjoyment. Like all these big meta suffering issues. I don't know. I mean, I, I am... a I'm really in favor of taking breaks. Yeah. It's like just taking care of yourself. Like so if you're struggling if to you enjoy don't want to go play that tournament, don't don't because you really don't need to. No, you don't need the money. Maybe number one's really, really important to you. That chicken's coming home to roost sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> so if I mean, it happens to everybody. Yeah. If your family time is worth it, if your mental health is worth it, do it. We're going to close this episode with some horrible shit <laughs> just horrible shit our favorites venus and rafa are struggling but i do want to add this one caveat to venus you know we've talked about how she loves playing in asia she won in in zhuhai at the wta elite trophy to end the year last year made the semis in hong kong last year won wuhan last year and so you're like well you know semis at wimbledon for run the 16s at the u.s open this year venus is back in asia Let's get those wins, girl. No, did not happen. <laughs> but I'm doing some backtracking here, and I'm realizing that Venus is losing to all these women who are going on to have great years, great tournaments, great comeback stories over and over and over again. She mm. starts the year losing to Kazakhin in Auckland. Kazakhin is now ranked top 25. She was 75 at that time, one of the breakout stories of the year. Peng Shui, she lost to her in Beijing. Which on the face of it, you're like, how, when was the last time Peng Shui even played? Right. Like, well, how is this happening? But then went on to win her first title. I of think her the following career. Week, right? Yeah, in Tianjin. Yeah. She loses to Joe Conta at the Australian Open in the first round. Come on. Like, Joe Conta is mm. going to have the year of her life. And you <laughs> get to draw her in the first round of the first major, mm. which she then goes on to reach the semifinals, losing to Kerber. And now Kanta is probably going to be in the WTA Tour Finals. She loses to Pliskova at the US Open in an epic three-set match. Third set tiebreak, saving all those match points in the round of 16s. Pliskova goes on to play the final, losing to Kerber. 
She loses to Madison Keys early in Montreal. Madison Keys goes on to make the final. Like this has been a recurring theme mm-hmm. with Venus's year, where it's not that she's losing to some no name who is ranked 200 and will be ranked 200 the rest of their life. Mm. And so I take heart from the fact that she's had good results in 2016. She's already committed to playing in in Charleston next year. She's now the headlining name in Charleston next year. Mm. So all this talk of Venus retiring at the end of this year, I don't bite. I think we can finally put that to rest. Homegirl is here to stay, at least for another year. But then we have Rafa Nadal. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't have anything to add. Like, I don't know what's going on with him. And On the face of it, he made the quarterfinals in Beijing, I believe it was, and then loses off the bat to Troitsky in Shanghai, which is a match I would never think he would lose. <laughs> mm. By the same token, he plays doubles with Pablo Carreño Busta and wins Beijing for his 11th doubles title of the year. Mm. Uh, not of the year. Sorry, of his career. <laughs> Second of the year, the first time he's had multiple doubles titles in mm-hmm. one year in his career. Coming after wo- winning the Olympics as well. Right. So he's playing a lot of tennis, but he's he goes from early in Beijing playing some just crazy good tennis in the first round. And then his form and confidence just disappear in singles. And now he's talking about maybe shutting it down for the rest of the year, not playing Paris, not playing the World Tour Finals not trying to qualify for the World Tour Mm. Finals, maybe. And even if he does qualify, maybe not playing. Who knows? And to my mind, if he's not injured, he should play. Like, if his struggles are coming from not a place of injury, then what's the harm in playing? Maybe uh, a coaching addition would do him good. Just putting that out there. You've been on that wagon for a long time. Well... Well, how much does if a, it's one thing you have not tried? But you know? how much does a coach help in you being able to fire your forehand like we've we haven't seen in a year and a half? Yeah, but he's saying this is psychological that physically he's feeling fine, so a coach can change. So a lot. maybe the ATP should send him to a sports psychologist, like <laughs> suspend him <laughs> until he goes to a I sports think psychologist. He can, he can afford it by himself. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, mm. it, it's crazy to me that that kind of confidence can diminish so quickly. Yeah, but then you have like a whole long line of players who believe that they can beat you now. And this is also his weakest part of the season. Historically. historically so yeah. I need I need this to not be it for Rafa in singles. Mm-hmm. Like if he decides in like a year and a half to quit singles and become a world beater in doubles more power to him but i need to have at least one more slam glory yeah. moment and i don't think this is it for him but it's definitely like a crossroads moment because it's been quite a long time now it's not yeah. his usual injury recovery comeback story it's, it's weird totally it's, it totally feels different. weird it's so hopefully he can find some zen moments that can calm himself and give him calm in those moments in those mm. matches I, I don't know so let's leave it there yeah. And we're going to sign off. I'm confident that this tennis season will end someday. Someday early in December. Is it that long? I think so. When does when does uh, the London event end? I don't know. Last week of I, November or something like that? I'm getting really impatient waiting for this election to be over. 
That's yeah. really the priority right now. Thank you for listening, though. I'm James, and uh, you can find me at Elliot JMR on Twitter. I'm Jonathan at SportsCribeCA. And you can find the podcast at The Body Surf. Thank you to all those people who've been reaching out to us on Twitter and sending us notes that you've just discovered the podcast and you really enjoy it. Quite literally, those are the things that keep us coming back to do it because Mm -hmm. we're not paid. It can be a bit of a hassle. (laughs) And And we we remember when you do that. So thank you. They really make us feel good. And, uh, And tell your friends. Yeah. Tell people about us. Help us grow. Let's grow together. <laughs> In that vein, let everybody know what you think about the show on iTunes as well. Mm-hmm. Give us a review there. Till next time. Mm-hmm.